I'm Daniel Lazar. Welcome to a very special episode of the Kogo Pod. How special? I am with not one, not two, not three, but four distinguished comparative government teachers, all of whom are AP readers in comparative government and politics. And to kick off this special episode, perhaps I could ask each of you to introduce yourself and in so doing, tell us, among the AP6 countries, which is your favorite country to teach and why? My name is Anthony Peake, and I teach at Baton Rouge Magnet High. I think Iran's my favorite to teach in a weird way, uh, just because it's so different than all the other countries that we sort of look at, teaching about the theocracy, teaching about sort of the social issues that go on there. So I think Iran is probably my favorite to teach. Hi, I'm Jane Hiley. I teach in Devon, Pennsylvania, which is a suburb um, west of Philadelphia. My favorite country to teach is also Iran. Similar reasons um, with what Anthony said, not limited to also how much I love to teach my students the concept of vilia'i faqi, and my students love to say it like really loudly <laughs> so some people could hear it in the hallway. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very foreign. I still have so much to learn, and I love learning it alongside my students. My name is Lisa Dudgeon. I teach at Bedford High School in Bedford, New Hampshire. My favorite country to teach is actually Nigeria. Structurally, the government's set up a lot like the U.S., which I think interests students. In actuality, it's very, very different in operation. Um, I combine Nigeria with Mexico, and I teach it last. So I think that it also pulls in a lot of the concepts and characteristics of the other countries we study. And I think it's just a nice way to end the course. I was going to say Iran, guys. Now i got to like, <laughs> pick another country. <laughs> Were you? I was. I was. I was going to say Iran, too. All right. Yeah, but, but you're changing your answer for the sake of our listeners. For the sake of the listeners, yes. How could you say Iran after our conversation today? <laughs> what do you mean? Your major. Oh, I know. I know. You think it'd be Russia, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm Ryan DeMarco. I teach at North Cross School in Roanoke, Virginia. My favorite country to teach is probably the United Kingdom. And the reason is because I am an Anglophile at heart, and I also studied abroad and got my master's degree at the University of Edinburgh. And so I'm deeply connected to the Scottish people, and so I like to talk about the um, ethnic cleavages, if you will, the nationalist cleavages in Scotland and uh, in the UK in general. And I also like tradition and talking about the monarchy. So I would say the UK is probably my favorite. Awesome. So we got... Two, perhaps three votes for Iran. We'll say one vote for Nigeria, one vote for the United Kingdom. Just for fun, just in the name of a good time, I want to give you all a little challenge. So imagine you are single-handedly responsible for redesigning this class. And with that responsibility, you have to drop an AP6 country, and then you have to add one. Which country do you drop? Which country do you add? And of course, why? I see people shaking their heads. They're not quite sure what to do with this. <laughs> We're going to go in the same order. We'll start with you again, Anthony, okay? No pressure. All right. So I'm going to be, I guess, controversial and say I'll drop Russia. Um, I just don't like teaching Russia. Uh, I don't, I mean, <laughs> politics and everything aside and what's going on in the world is not a fun country to teach uh, in terms of 
how they treat people, what's going on, the war in Ukraine, et cetera. I know it's current events and it's important, but at the same time, it's trying to teach the politics side of it. Uh, makes it, you're, you're so bogged down on Putin, 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 and not so much anything else. Uh, and what would I add? I mean, just keeping with the idea of a semi-presidential system. I know they had France, so maybe France. And France would be kind of fun with, you know, protests and, um, you know, Macron marrying his teacher and a lot of fun stuff, right? Uh, maybe Germany, I guess, as well. We're talking about Europe and semi-presidential, I think. Um, I think the other cool thing we kind of do is kind of rotate with, you know, we're talking about Russia being sort of this illiberal democracy, maybe rotate like a, a Poland or El Salvador or, or these other countries that are kind of doing similar things currently and kind of talking about how systems can change or whatever else and kind of use really current kind of countries. I know it'd be hard for the test, but a wild card like that. To Jane. That is controversial. Russia must stay. (laughs) Um, I would say take out Mexico. Um, Aside from cartels and some of the interesting cultural characteristics, it's not as alluring as Iran or Nigeria or Russia. Um, I would say add in... Any other any other country in South America, Peru would be awesome, um, Brazil, Argentina, or go to the other side of the world, India. Man, India and China that would be interesting because they're the two biggest you know countries in the world population wise, and you know you can talk about India in terms of you know is there an under, undercurrent of regime change or you know with liberal democracy. Um, so I think that would be much more interesting. Since you've named most of the countries in the world. <laughs> I'm going to push you a little bit. You get to pick one country to add. Which one do you want to pick? I would go with India. So I'm going to back Jane up. I'm going to kick Mexico out as well. Um, (laughs) It's it's adios, right? Um, I mean, the students generally are interested in the the power of the cartels and how that detracts from um, the Mexican government. But other than that, there's, I mean, it's a it's a federal system, and yeah, there are you know the the gender equity requirement they have is I think important, but I I think of all the AP six countries, I think that's probably on the chopping block for me. Um, I don't know that I have a particular country. I was thinking it might be nice, maybe one of the newer democracies in the Balkans. But students in the U.S. don't have a whole lot of knowledge about that part of the world. And it might be interesting to get one about the same level as Mexico, but with some different challenges and and things of that nature. Oh, gosh. That is a difficult question. I would actually say um, I would say Nigeria. And here's why. Um, My heart. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I would say Nigeria, and the reason um, is because I would add India in its place. Nigeria is a federal system. India is a quasi-federal system. Um, India has just as much diversity as Nigeria. And I think given its trajectory in the recent past, you know, in the last 20 years, I think it's an interesting case study of um, the transition, what's it called, democratic backsliding back into autocracy. Um, so I think that would be a really interesting case study. Now, I also realize that in doing so, we don't have representation from Africa. So if we had to pick a country maybe from Africa, I would probably say like South Africa potentially as a case study as well. Um, I think that would be a really interesting African country to add to the list. 
I should just add here before we move on that Anthony had the correct answer. <laughs> you, you, you drop Russia, the quote unquote hybrid semi-presidential system, which it's not. And I'll help you to be very specific. You add Germany because I, <laughs> I live there and I want to do that for and with my students. So with Anthony having scored many points and the rest of you having scored none, <laughs> I'm left with many curiosities, among which is this. So this is a challenging class. Our students are challenged. We're challenged to keep up and to teach this class well. I wonder what the most challenging comparative government and politics concept is for your students to fully comprehend like to really get their heads around. And what I want you to do, if I can be so bold as to ask, is to maybe kind of imagine for me why you think this particular concept is so challenging for them to, to grasp. And if you've found a way to help them to overcome that challenge and to somehow communicate this concept, how have you done that or what have you tried in order to make that happen? And for this one, we'll go in reverse, starting with our friend, Mr. DeMarco. Hmm. So I'm going to go with two possible concepts here, and I'll take them each in turn. So I was actually talking with Anthony about this on the way up here, which was the difference between authority and legitimacy. It's kind of a crude example, I guess, but how I differentiate that is um, someone can have authority over you, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're legitimate. And that's because like, if you take the example of a state like Russia, where um, oftentimes like the police are used against the civilian population in nefarious ways, oftentimes the people may not look at the police as legitimate, but they accept their authority because they are armed to the teeth with weapons and things like that. So you're probably going to listen to someone who's pointing a gun at you. Um, but legitimacy is um, the belief that people have in the government's right to rule. The second term I would say is liberalism. That is often very hard for the kids to understand because they are looking at it through the lens of liberal versus conservative in the American context versus that idea of classical liberalism. And so trying to get them to understand the difference there is probably the hardest. Isn't it a pleasure, though, to like help them to differentiate between contemporary American liberalism and 19th century British liberalism? Like, Definitely. I feel like you can teach that. I feel mm -hmm. like you can help them to overcome that. I feel like most of them get that. It takes mm -hmm. some legwork. Yeah, yes. but that's, that's like, it's good legwork. That's good work to right. teach that. Exactly. Trying to differentiate between the terms like liberal and Democrat in the American context are not the same thing as liberal in sort of the international sphere. So, Jane, you, want, you wanted to follow up on that? In, in talking about this last, this past school year, my students understood the concept of liberalism way better when we talked about illiberalism. They've never heard of that term, but when we talked about examples and what it looks like in real life, they're like, oh, okay, so now liberalism is this and illiberalism is this. And, and then when you see the contrast, my students, you know, like the light bulbs, did, you know, metaphorically did come on. Nice. Jane, we're going to come back to you in just a second. But before we do, I wanted to hear, Lisa, what's the tough concept that your students have to do a little bit of work to understand, but you're willing to do that work for and with them? I teach the United Kingdom first when I go through the countries. I teach country by country. My second country is Russia. And students always 
their mind is blown when I try to teach them the structure of the government. Because on the one hand, they'll read, okay, this this body has these powers and this has this, and this is how they get there. And then you have to start adding in, but, but, but they really, really struggle with trying to get a good understanding of the process. I haven't found a way to teach that that I love, so I've been looking around at all of you. Um, but, you know, eventually most of them get it. Um, and then when we get to China, they're a little more prepared. <laughs> nice. And back to Jane, of course. Um, my students struggle with Unit 4, which is the party systems and electoral systems and then some political participation mixed in there. So my students understand SMDP, single member district plurality, although they never knew that that was what it is. And then we talk about proportional representation and the mixed. And because my my classes are generally small, you know, uh, somewhere in the uh, eight to 15, I can't do simulations. If I had a class of 30, I think I could easily do a simulation. Because I, th- I think that would be the best way for them to see how votes turn into seats in the legislatures. Um, and, you know, when we get to mixed PR, um, you know, with Russia, like my students are like, what, what? Like, and so I haven't found a really good solution. I show them some videos that use animals. Um, I'm sure you guys are familiar with that. I mean, that helps a lot. But the big picture question is, why do these systems and rules matter? It's, it's to get them to understand, you know, who gets to govern based on the rules that are instituted um, for voting, how to vote and who gets to vote and um, what do the votes mean in terms of seats in the legislature. So, yeah, my students struggle, but the struggle is worth it because at the end of the day, when they understand, you know, votes into seats, then they re- that's, that's the basic essential knowledge for me that my students have to learn. Seems like Ryan's chomping at the bit a little bit here. What do you got? Well, actually, I wanted to tell you about my favorite activity that I do when I teach the democracy sort of conceptual electoral systems, things like that. I give them all a standard sized piece of paper and they have to draw a picture of what they think democracy looks like. And then it's all anonymous, so they can't put their name on it or anything. And then we'll put it up on the board and I give each student a post-it and then they have to go vote for which picture is the most like democracy. Um, Sometimes I mix it up every year. Sometimes I'll say draw a picture of an elephant and whoever has the best one wins. But I do that to start off with one is teaching the idea of the Australian ballot, like the secret ballot versus having everyone vote all at one time and how they can be influenced by their peers voting for X candidate over Y. So that's the first lesson is discussing the importance of having a secret ballot. But then um, through this process, uh, usually what will happen is I will get a plurality result. And so then I, I use that to teach plurality. And then I have a runoff between usually the top two candidates, uh, the top two pictures, and I give all the post-its back and they have to re-vote again. Um, so that's the way that I teach at least plurality versus majority um, elections. So Jane is literally taking notes. Awesome. And last but certainly not least, Mr. Peak. So I, I teach uh, to sophomores. So uh, social cleavages, because the laughter makes it a little bit hard to, <laughs> to deal with that. No, um, I, I, I struggle with this. Uh, I teach in a semester, um, and it's basically the details, I guess, in the, in the sense of what you teach and how you teach it. And 
not getting too bogged down and all this sort of like the history, the, the uh, what's going on currently and things like that. And, and just trying to teach the main ideas, kind of what you were saying before with the comparisons. And I, sometimes we teach the country and we, I mean, I might do this, I think forget to compare it to the other country. So sometimes the kids have like a singular idea of like, Oh, the UK is like this. Russia's like this. China's like this, but not, okay, well, why is Russia like this? And why is UK like this? And why is that parliamentary system so much different than a semi-presidential and, and things like that? And I think that's one of the hardest parts. And then also um, in general, teaching about China and Iran and their political systems, the kids want to know everything about how all, all the different institutions work and trying to tell them it doesn't matter that much. They're not going to ask you about the fourth person down and the you know the poet bureau of china and things like that like don't worry about it but they just want to know everything and i think that can be uh, challenging you know i feel obliged to add here even though my role in this podcast is merely to moderate that brian when you were talking about legitimacy this thought dawned on me legitimacy is the easiest concept to teach kids right it's the degree to which the citizens of a country believe that their government has the right to rule. But it's also, in a way, the hardest concept to teach. Because even some of my most politically astute, well-read, wonderful students, they have a hard time wrapping their minds around the problem that governments that we don't like and politicians who we find anathema to our constitutions enjoy very high degrees of legitimacy. Xi Jinping enjoys very high degrees of legitimacy. The Chinese government has very high degrees of legitimacy. And the same is true for Putin. And the same is true for Modi. And that's one of the things I love about this class. It kind of takes our assumptions and it turns them on their head. And no matter how much I tell them that when I teach legitimacy, I tell them when we first go over the concept of legitimacy, like the first week or two of class, right? I say, it's not the degree to which you think that person should have the right to rule. And the funny thing is I can tell them that time and time again, but there's this mental block that they have, which I'm going to loosely call a bias that makes it hard for them. To, to truly grasp what is otherwise a reasonably simple concept. Not to get too far into the weeds of that, but I deem it to be like a real problem. I have a million questions for y'all. I wish we could sit around and talk all day, but I know y'all have places to be. Maybe we could do something like this again sometime. But before I let you go, I just wonder if there's a particular piece of advice that you have for students who are perhaps just beginning to embark on their studies of AP comparative government and politics. Jane, can we start with you? Sure. Actually, one of my students sent me a message earlier this week. I don't give summer assignments, but they wanted to know what they needed to do or could do. Um, to prepare for AP CompGov because they heard from previous students that it was a really hard class. And it is. Um, I wouldn't say it's a walk in the park. So this question comes at a good time. I didn't respond yet because I didn't know, I didn't want to burden the student 
um, unnecessarily. But I would say, keep your eyes open, keep your ears open. You know, there's something called frequency bias, where, you know, if you buy a red car, then you notice everybody drives a red car. So I would tell the student and to all my students, uh, prospective students taking the class, you know, keep your eyes open to the AP6. In my class, I call them the AP McBruin, because it's the name, the first letters of the countries. Wait, Mc- it? Mc- it is. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yes, totally should we? Yeah. Yeah. Please. You should rebrand the course. Um, um, so yeah, I just I have them. You know, just remember. You know, every time you hear the six countries or the leaders in the news, or Twitter, social media, anywhere, you know, just make a mental check mark um, and see if you can find a pattern. You know, if you want to actively look for the countries in the news, that's even better. Um, but just know that they're there and. And, and the frequency bias kind of will come because they're going to notice more um, because they're mentally uh, being more conscious of those countries. Lisa? I would advise future ComCov students something similar, um, maybe a little bit more broad even. I would just advise them just start paying attention generally, um, you know, what's going on in the world. It doesn't necessarily have to do with the AP6 because during the, I have a year long class, you know, sometimes we'll pull in other countries that are interacting with our AP6. But I also teach in a year and I have the luxury of doing current event contests every quarter. So I, I have that luxury. But as they're coming into the course, just looking for what's going on, you know, trying to start to think beyond themselves of their state or their country into this broader context of being a global citizen. I think that would be super helpful. All right. So kind of going in some ways what they're talking about, just paying attention. It's not, it's not a hot take at all. Pay attention. Um, <laughs> but, um, but also I think in general, and something I try to do with my students is when you see something in the news, like, you know, let's say it's about Mexico's a drought or water, a lack of water. Um, so, you know, if there's current issues um, about the, the economy or the environment, I'm reading a lot of environmental essays. So that's probably why I'm thinking about that. Um, but, you know, and how does a government solve that issue and how do the politics, how we vote for people and, and things like that. So like sort of using the current events, but I was thinking like, well, if I was in power, if I had this power, what can change or, you know, and as we learn about the class, we say, well, in the UK, they can do this. That makes it easier. Maybe that's a better idea. Or Russia does this or whatever else it is. So, yeah, kind of going with you guys and listen to the news. that Be worldly in a way. So, And last but not least, Ryan DeMarco. So I have two pieces of advice. The first one would be I'm a big podcast junkie. So I listen to a lot of podcasts on the different countries to get more in-depth knowledge and understanding. And there are a ton out there if you um, just Google them or if you have an Apple device, you can find them on the Apple podcast store or on Google. Um, But for example, Drum Tower by The Economist is amazing. Checks and Balance, also from The Economist. Uh, The New York Times has a bunch of podcasts that go really in-depth into different countries. So highly recommend that. However, I think my most important piece of advice beyond just paying attention to the news would be make sure you really understand the concepts. Like if you have to drill and drill and drill and memorize the definitions because a lot of the questions on the AP exam are conceptual questions. And if you know the concepts, it makes it much easier 
to apply the country examples. So the the metaphor I will give is, for example, a coat rack um, that you might have in your house, like on the wall. It's a lot easier to hang your jackets when you have the coat rack as your foundation and your coat rack here is the concepts. If you don't have the coat rack up, you can't hang the facts on it. So make sure you know your concepts. Ryan, if you didn't say something like that, I was going to feel obliged to say just that. I, I want to say one thing, not to be combative at all. Yes, concepts are required for them to do well in their AP exam, but I know you'll agree and I see you nodding that it's important for them to understand these concepts just to be responsible, civically engaged people. And I know that's what we're all trying to do. When you break it down, like the one thing we all have in common and what we really share is a deep passion to work every day to help our students to be better citizens. And with that, I guess we should just wrap this podcast up. Can I ask you all, would you be willing to maybe do this again sometime? We should get together, perhaps virtually, and talk about ideas and lesson plans. I should say, for the record, the listeners out there, they're nodding. They're all game. (laughs) And if you're a teacher of this class and you're listening to this podcast and you want to be part of a forum like this, I'm pretty open to the idea. I have kind of a renewed vision for what this podcast could be. So don't be shy. If you're out there and you're listening and you want to be part of a conversation like this, reach out to me. All of my details are in the show notes. Thank you so much for tuning into the Kogo Pod. We're glad that you're listening. And thank you so much to Anthony and to Jane and to Lisa and to Ryan. It's been a real pleasure to be in conversation with you. If you're listening to this and you're enjoying this podcast, if it's valuable to you, if it means something to you, you're welcome to contribute to the Kogo Pod. Just head over to buymeacoffee.com slash Pod and make a contribution. This project does have costs. I'm willing to bear them because it's my passion project. But if you're getting something out of this, whether you're a student or a teacher, feel free to contribute. No pressure, but you can. I, perhaps we, will be back with you soon with new episodes. Until then, please take care. Be well. Stay healthy. Say bye, everyone. Bye. Did you say bye, everyone? Well played.